Now they are passing out bottles of water. You say, well, why, Pastor? They are not because we're going to have a water fight. But what I want you to do is I want you to keep this water. And what I'm going to do is through the service, I'm going to ask you to take a drink of that water periodically. And then at the end of the service, I'll tell you why. It's not to make you check your prostate or anything like that. It is something that I believe that will change your life that you will become very mindful of as you just live life. Hallelujah. So these bottles of water, you can open them if you can open them, give them to somebody else, have them open to you and take a little swig for their uh, work and then uh, give it back to you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Dr. Obalu, how much of the human body is made up of water? How, how many? 75% of your body is made up of water. The rest is just pure dirt. And uh, it, no, it, it's the truth. You need to keep that in mind because when the Bible talks about sowing seeds into the earth, he's talking about sowing seeds into your life. Hallelujah. Now, I want to talk to you today about identity. I want to continue it. We've been talking about it for about three weeks. There was a uh, doctor that came up to uh, Nikki Sunday, and he was uh, weeping. Uh, he's a psychiatrist, and he said if people would get a hold of this message, I could be out of business. Every addiction is a struggle of an identity celebrate freedom that we have in our had in our church we may be reestablishing it is simply a discovery of your identity once you discover your identity you automatic fall automatically fall into a repetitious lifestyles that are connected with an identity now the word identity means this to be to be or to become the same or to be distinguished as united with, associated with, means to be connected to something or someone. It means to be inseparable from a description of a person or a thing. Show you something. Can I have a cow on the screen? Hey, cow. There you go. Anybody know what a cow is? What is a cow? A what? No, no, it's not steak. What, what is a cow? Is a cow just a big cow? Is it just a big calf? No. A cow is a cow that has went through, is a mature animal, that usually is used as a descriptive words in bigger sized mammals, like a, a moose, a female moose, after she gives birth, is known as a cow. And uh, so this cow, before it became a cow, was a heifer. A heifer is a female cow that has never given birth to a calf. But then after a calf is born of a heifer, then that 
heifer goes through, after it gives birth to a calf, goes through a metamorphosis, as it were, a transformation, and becomes something that they have never been. Now that is a cow. Now people from New York City or someplace else that were not familiar with that would look at a herd of heifers and say, hey, there's some cows. Or they would look at a herd of steers, which are bulls that have lost their ability to reproduce. And those are steers, they are not bulls. So even though they all look the same, their name or their identity distinguishes them totally separated from other things that look like them but are not them. That's what identity does. Identity defines what a thing or a person is. Now, this cow that used to be a heifer gives milk. Now, it gives milk for the simple fact that it has given birth to a calf. But after the calf is weaned off of milk, off of the udder, then the milk becomes clean, white, and that's where we get what you buy at the store. Okay? All right. So, this cow, once she is distinguished or defined by certain characteristics, a heifer that has given birth, now a cow that gives or produces milk that must be milked twice a day at least. I have worked on milk farms where we milk three times trying to produce our milk production. But usually it's two times a day and that cow is designed by God when it enters into this place of identity to give milk. Okay, so we as people go through a metamorphosis of our identity. When we first get saved, the Bible calls us babes in Christ. Then as we start designing and working and using our faith in the word of God, the Bible says, Hebrews 5.12, that we become mature in the things of God and then that we should be teachers. And as long as we don't abort the process, hold true to the identity of not being hearers but doers of the word, then we do mature to the point that we can teach others. If we do not adhere to that process, we will always stay in a place where metamorphosis is shut down. Kind of like that cow. If you don't milk that cow a couple times a day, that cow is going to dry up. Its udder is going to shrink. And what's going to happen is that's just going to become a cow that was a cow, but now is dried up. Will be no use unless a metamorphosis again is induced by a sperm. Okay, having said all that, that went right over your head. I hope it didn't. Now, people seek their identity from performance, from careers, from hobbies, from achievements, from wealth, from acceptance from others. People seek identity from everybody. I mean, we, we feel cool if somebody like drives by us and they've got a real fancy car and we've got that same kind of car. <laughs> What's that mean? We're brothers. Are you? He's a drug dealer. What are you? <laughs> it's 
So look, look, no, no, people seek their identity from the carnal birthplaces of the achievements and acceptance of man. We are never to seek our identity from man. Jesus never sought his from the Pharisees. He sought it from the scriptures. This day is this scripture fulfilled. They said, oh, is not this the son of Mary and Joseph the carpenter? No, he was not. He always was and always had been the son of the living God. Now, but the believer, somebody say the believer. The believer should not be in such unstable territory or waters because performance, achievements, careers, and hobbies, they all change every day. They change because they're temporal. And the Bible said they change. So don't try to reestablish the Bible. The Bible said they're temporal and they're changing every day. Now, you have a career, you have hobbies, you have all these things, achievements, and that's great. But those identities are the lowest that should take precedent in your life. They should all be subject to the identity that you have received from Jesus Christ through the new birth. Could again, amen. amen. All right. But the only place, here's what happens to the believer. The believer comes into the body of Christ, but since he's carnally minded, he has to grow. He's a babe in Christ. He hears things, but he never is a doer. So when he should be a teacher, he becomes again as a babe that one should teach him. Well, what happens is that the believer should never ever seek his identity any other place except the scripture. Because it is the only place of unchanging truth and it is the only place that the word of God does not change nor is it altered in any way, shape, or form. So we as Christians should find our place in the scriptures. Could I get an amen? Now that means that if you're a believer and you're going through hard places and all that, that you do not try to take on a new identity based on your problem. Could I get an amen? Don't do that. Because if you take on your identity of the problem, you are going to begin to produce everything that that problem needs to establish itself as identifying factor in your life. So we do not want to convert our identity just because evidence says something about us. Amen. All right, let's go to 2 Corinthians 5.16 on the screens. Hallelujah. Everybody with me so far? Good. I, 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 let's catch this. Wherefore, hence we know no man after the flesh. Somebody say, henceforth, no longer. Somebody say, no longer. You are never from this point on as an obedient believer. Now, you can be a rebel, you can be unbelieving, you can be discontent, you can be a, a number of things in the Bible. But if you want to be a believer, the beginning of, of that is that you obey scriptures. You think 
like God wants you to think. You talk like God wants you to talk. You act the way that God wants you to act. Well, I'm just me. You're you headed for an eternity without God. You are God's property. You're not your own. Let go of yourself and lay hold of the God that bought you. And because you belong to God, he says, Wherefore, henceforth, know we no man after the flesh. Nobody is to refer to himself. Well, I'm just a sinner. Well, you know, I, I'm, a, I'm this, or I'm an alcoholic, or I'm a drug addict. Oh, well, you know, I, I'm just always unfaithful. I'm just, no, no. The reason you're doing that is because every time that you embrace your identity separated from God, when you declare that, the potential, the fruits, the activity, and the attributes of that identity connect themselves to you. And we are forbidden to. Oh, no, that doesn't mean forbidden to. Okay, let's read it like this. Hey, wherefore, just do whatever you want to do and know yourself and remind yourself you're after the flesh because it doesn't matter what Christ did because he's just a symbol of religion. He's just a has-been, and it really doesn't matter. Christianity is a social club. That's what you're saying when you reject divine orders from the King of Kings. And it says this, from henceforth we know no man after the flesh. From now on, don't think of people the way you used to know them. It's wrong. And though we have known Christ after the flesh when he was Joseph's son and before he became Christ and the Messiah after the resurrection, yet now henceforth we know him like that no more. Next verse. Therefore, if any man be in Christ... He's just a washed-up sinner. Oh, he is a what? So a new creature has a new identity. He's not an old creature. Old things are what? What are the old things? The old things are the things that connect you to the old creature. And it said, behold, all things are become new. You're a new creature, and all things have become new. New. Somebody say new. Yeah. All right, next verse. And it says, And all things are of who? God, who hath reconciled us unto himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given unto us the ministry of reconciliation, to wit that God was in Christ, reconciling the whole world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. Now that is an un unchangeable identity. You are a representative of Christ. And as though God did beseech you by us, that we pray you in Christ said, be ye reconciled to God. For he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made, made made, 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 past tense, the righteousness of God in him. Now, we are a new creature. Somebody say, I'm a new creature. And everything about that new creature is about God. The only place to find out 
who or the attributes or the identification that defines that new creature is in the Bible. Not religious books, not religious teachings, simply the Bible. Somebody say the Bible. Bible. Pretty good. Now let's go to James 1.22. James 1.22. But be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Next verse. For if any man be a doer of the a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man beholding his natural face in a glass. And behold, he beholdeth himself and goeth his way and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whosoever looketh into the perfect law of liberty, redemptive plan of God, and continueth therein, acts like the man he saw. He being not a forgetful here, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. Now, where do we get the description, the attributes, that which defines this new creature? The Bible is like a mirror. It reflects to us what we are in Christ. Now, if you accept that, great. If you deny that, not so great. Amen? So we are not going to judge ourselves or compare ourselves or look at ourselves through a momentary failure or a momentary mistake or a momentary willful rebellion against God, a momentary hateful statement because your mind lost itself or some gesture that you give to a driver on a busy highway. No, no. Just because we make a mistake doesn't mean our identity has been aborted. It means that because you have an identity, conviction will come to call you back into the definition of your identity. All right. Now, we look in the mirror. Somebody say, in the mirror. All right, let's go one more, and then we're going to get into the message, really, to where we're going. Let's go to Isaiah 61. Isaiah 61. There you go. And the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. This is where Jesus unveils his identity in the temple, in the synagogue, which was his habit. Jesus was a church member even though many people think they don't have to go to church to be a Christian, Jesus went to church to confirm that he was Christ. Why? Because he was a doer of the law, and he sinned not. Okay, now moving right along, and it says, and Jesus stands up and says, hey guys, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he, the Lord, hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim the liberty to the captive, and the opening of prison doors to them that are bound, and to preach the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, and to comfort all that mourn, and to appoint to them that mourn in Zion, to give unto them the beauty, ashes, them beauty for ashes, oil for joy, 
for mourning and for garments of praise for the spirit of heaviness that they might be called the trees of righteousness. Notice the identifying factors of the redeemed in Zion. It says they have beauty for ashes, oil for joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they might be called the trees of righteousness, the plantings of the Lord, that he may be glorified. Now, Phyllis and I had that little dispute right before church that this is not Christianity. Gladness is Christianity. There is no place for, and I say this not meaning, I'm telling you, you keep identifying yourself with your past, with your depression, with your failure, with your poverty, and you're always going to be mourning, and you're never going to have a new identity. Could I get an amen? And then it says this, they shall build the old waste places. They shall raise up the former desolation, and they shall repair the wasted cities, the desolation of many generations, and strangers shall stand and feed your flocks, and the sons of the alien shall be your plowmen and your vine pressers, and ye shall be named the priests who are the priests of the Lord. You and I, what is Jesus saying? I come to define a new people, an identifiable people that have, been that have been redeemed from Zion. That's you and I. We are the priests of our God. Could I get an amen? And men shall call you the ministers of the Lord, the ambassadors preaching Christ. Ye shall eat the riches of the Gentile, the wealth of the sinners laid up for the just, and in their glory shall ye boast yourself. Now, as a believer, you have a new identity. Sorrow is not in it. You are a people of praise. You are a people of joy. You are a people of beauty, not mourning, of beauty. Come on. We are the plantings of the Lord, and if the Lord planted us, we cannot be uprooted. Amen? And we are the people that are going to be called the ministers of the Lord. We shall eat the wealth and the riches of the Gentile. You say, oh, that sounds terrible. Are we thieves? No. The earth belongs to the Lord. And he's now depositing it as a heritage to his people. And it says this, and in their, and in their glory shall ye boast yourselves. That is the new identity that Jesus comes to give you and I. Let's stop and take a drink of water. Come on up here, sir. This is a friend of mine. Can I have a microphone there, Phyllis? I want to introduce you to him. I've known him for years. He just looks like an ordinary guy from the hood. <laughs> a little shorter than me, but everybody can't be that tall. Now, what's your name? R.D. Caldwell, Jr. Now, does he look like anything special to you? Take your clothes off. 
You may not know him. He is Mr. Universe. Did you know that? He's actually Mr. Universe. Not because of his build, but because of his accomplishments. He has been crowned Mr. Universe. Now, the water that you just drank, do you think that could lift a hundred pounds over his head? Do you think this water could lift a hundred pounds? Do any of you think this water could lift a hundred pounds? Why no? This water has no power in itself. Made up of two substances. Oxygen, I mean, uh, yeah, oxygen and nitrogen? Hydrogen, thank you. I would have blowed us up. Oxygen, <laughs> hydrogen. So that's all that it's made up of. And individually, it can't do anything. And together, it cannot do anything. Could you lift 100 pounds? Let's, here, guys, put 100 pounds on there. Now, remember, the water can do nothing. But Mr. Universe can do what water on its own cannot do. Everybody got that? Now, Mr. Universe has taken a drink of the water. Okay there, Mr. Universe, go ahead. Could you guys lift 100 pounds? <laughs> now that water could not lift that 100 pounds, but Mr. Universe could lift 100 pounds. I would have him get down into his Speedos, but I'd have a hard time taking Phyllis home with me. So I decided not to do that. Grab a seat right there. Now, what I want you to realize is that the water could do nothing. But Mr. Universe did something that the water could not do. Could have given an amen. amen. Now both have an identity. One is a powerless identity. The other is a powerful identity. Let's go to number. No, wait. Let me say this. As we go to the place of God, remember these three basic principles about God. Romans 2.11 is that God is not a respect of persons. He doesn't see black or white, short or tall, fat or thin, bound or free, Greek, male or female. He doesn't see those things. Carnality sees those things. Amen. Could have given amen. amen. God doesn't even see political parties. Carnality sees political parties. Yes, he doesn't see rich or poor. He doesn't see crippled or whole, blind or unblind. He doesn't see that. He sees the work of the new creation. He sees you being a new creature, no longer known to the world, but identified by God. So he is not a respect to persons. Number two thing, Numbers 23, 19, that God is not a man that he should lie. Hebrews the, uh, 6, I think it's 10, 11, and 12 says this, that it's impossible for God to lie. So if God said something and he couldn't lie, that he must keep it, then he would always be faithful. Therefore, faith should always be the basis of everything we do something in. Could have get an amen. God is not a man that he should lie, 
nor the Son of Man that he should repent. If he said it, he's going to bring it to pass. If he spoke it, he's going to make it good. The third thing about God is Psalms 89, 34, I will, my covenant will I not break nor alter the thing that is going forth out of my lips. In other words, if God said it, and he's not a respected person, he says it to everybody then, and if he said it to everybody, and he doesn't alter what he said, and he can't lie, what he said to one, he says to everybody. And if God said it, you can act on it, take it of the reflection that it gives you, and walk in it. Could I get an amen? Yes. Let's go to Numbers, the 13th chapter. Numbers, the 13th chapter. I know it's a very, very common passage of Scripture, and, uh, but I think I'm going to bring three things out that are going to help you. Numbers, the 13th chapter in verse 30. And it says, And Caleb stilled the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and possess it, for we are well able to overcome. Why did Joshua and Caleb, two out of ten, why did they, they make that statement except that they believed God was not a respected person, therefore we can go up? Amen. Number two, that God could not lie and would not lie. And number three, that if God said it, he wouldn't change in the midst of something and put conditions or requirements that were not before known. Based upon those three facts, these men make this proclamation in the midst of a situation, or just like in our situation, that seems impossible, seems irreversible, seems that there is no victory, no way to get a breakthrough. The only reason that we crowl, cow down, not the milking count of cow, but to cow or coward in the shadows of battles is because we do not believe in the three basic stones that these men believed in. Why would you choose the way of man when God told you the outcome before it ever started? Oh, I'll tell you, you thought he would lie. Oh, no, I wouldn't. Look, don't deceive yourself. Don't deceive yourself. There's a reason you don't go forward. There's a reason you don't live like a new creation. There's a reason you don't accept your identity in God. There's a reason you don't live it. There's a reason you don't share it. There's a reason you don't activate it. And the bottom line is, you think God will lie. Or you think he's a respected person. He loves other people better than he loves you. Impossible, absolute lie. Or you believe he's changed things because of today or because you have fell short or because you have... Absolutely wrong. Where are you getting your information? Oh, I forgot. You want to know the old man. Remember, we are not allowed to know him. All right. 1330, 
let's go look up there again there it goes and Caleb stilled the people before Moses and said let us go up at once possess it for we are well able to overcome it next verse but the men that went up with him said we are not able to go up against the people for they are stronger than we are remember one of the enemies of your identity is comparison with others and then next verse 32 it says and they brought up an evil report something induced to destroy faith planned and purpose and declared in the mouth of foolish people that's what that word evil means report of the land of the country which they had searched unto the children of Israel saying the land through which we go to search it it is a land that eateth up the inhabitants thereof and all the people that we saw in it are men of great stature which I know is a lie because I know there were women there he said they were all men that's a lie and they weren't all of great stature there were men giants men of great stature in the land but they weren't all men of great stature and they weren't all giants or when the Gibeonites came to Israel they would have said you must live in this land all right next verse oh oh and there we saw giants the son of Anak which came of the giants and we were in our own sight as grasshoppers and so were we in their sight look at the identity they have been redefined by comparison instead of by God's proclamation two different identities one is formulated by the enemy the other is established by God could it get an amen hallelujah praise God hallelujah in numbers 13 32 that word evil means again to defame to slander to whisper to destroy faith to cause it to see itself in less than a righteous way land simply means the world or the country then verse 30 Caleb stilled the people and proclaimed we are well and able to go up and possess it let's take another drink of water Rick come up here Rick Burke turn around there Rick Burke anybody you know Rick Burke who do you think Rick Burke is he's a pastor pretty good anybody seen Rick Burke as a taking the money back the ushers so we know Rick Burke is an usher a pastor and we know that he is a, what uh, yeah, I was gonna say you're the wife of Lynn <laughs> but she does have the subordinate rule but anyway you are the husband of Lynn yes hmm take your coat off does he look any different now Rick tell these people the records that you hold for weightlifting 
I hold four state records um, in my weight class, 198, and I also have a uh, national record for bench press. No, wait, wait a second. But you look like a pastor. You look like an usher. You look like a hen-pecked husband. <laughs> Could you go over there? Now let me ask you something. Here, Mr. Universe. Can this water lift 200 pounds? You don't think it could? Take a drink of your water, Mr. Universe. Well, you're a sipper. I say drink, man, drink. Lord Jesus. All right, Brother Rick, hop on there. Now, they don't think that water could lift 200 pounds. Now, you can bench press far more than 200 pounds. And I, I understand last time that we was in competition, I threw it off because you were whining and you had won nothing. <laughs> so I let you take that. But that's yes. okay. Yes. That's, that's okay. So I'm big enough to bear it up, and I'm confident in who I am. Thank you. Gentlemen, can you put those other 200-pound, 50-pound weights on that bar? So that's going to be a little over 200 pounds, 45, 45. You've got 90. You've got a 10-pound bar, about 210. 225. Okay, lay back there, Brother Rick. Can you guys spot him just in case that man that has the weight has retired? Don't make me a liar, son. Don't make me a liar. Push, push. There you go. Thank you, Pastor Usher. Husband of Lynn. Now, he just did something that the water could not do. He has another identity that you can't see. So in other words, you can't define yourself by the outward appearance that you present to human beings. You have to identify yourself with a champion accomplishments of the new creature in your life. Come on, hallelujah. Now, if we look on down into it, we begin to realize that in these spies there were two identities. That is the great struggle. What identity are you going to follow? The one that your enemy projects to you or the one that God has established about you. And whatever identity that you establish is the fruit that you're going to live off of. If you believe that your enemies are always bigger than you, you can't. I don't know how. There is no way. It's impossible. You're always going to be a sand dweller. You're never going to cross over, though God redeemed you for the purpose of crossing over. Could again, get an amen? Do you know that your enemies know more about your identity than you do? Go to Joshua 2 and verse 8 through 11. Joshua 2, verse 8. See, these Israelites thought without a shadow of a doubt that they were what the enemy said they were. In other words, they adapted their identity to that. And it says this, 
And before they were laid down, Rahab's taking them up on the roof. She came unto them upon the roof. And she said unto the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that your terrors fall upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land faint because of you. That word faint means melt like a soft substance. Are any of you afraid of a stick of butter in the heat of the summer? That's what your enemy is when God is on your side. And then it says this, and, and we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you, and that you came out of Egypt, that you did unto the two kings of the Amorites, and that were on the other side of Jordan, Sahan and Og, and how they were utterly destroyed. And as soon as we heard of these things, our heart did melt, neither did they remain any more courage in any man. In other words, at the worst, Israel was going to fight chickens, but nothing higher than chickens. They were without courage. And then it says this, because of you, for the Lord your God, he is in heaven above and the earth in the earth beneath. Your enemy knows who you are. His greatest fear is that you'll discover who you are. He always wants you to know who you used to be. That's where he had dominion. Now, let's look at a couple more things, and we're going to quickly wrap up. Let's go to 1 Corinthians 7, 1 through 5. 7, 1 through 5. This is an identity. Somebody say an identity. Hallelujah. And it says this. Now concerning the things which you wrote unto me. In other words, they got questions. Is it good for a man not to touch a woman? Nevertheless, to avoid fornication. Let every man have his own wife and every woman have her own husband. Let the husbands render unto the wife due benevolence. And likewise, also the wife unto the husband. And the wife hath not power over her own body. Let's not even go there. But the husband... And also, likewise, the husband hath not power over his body, but the wife. Defraud. Do not resist or hold back what God has equipped you with. Ye one another, except it be with consent for a time, that you may give yourselves to fasting and to prayer, and come together again. What are you supposed to come together for? Pinnacle. Come on, you're, you're, you're intelligent people. Somebody say, oh, oh, you're going to talk about something. I, I didn't bring the subject up. God did. Now, now, if you got a dirty mind, you didn't get it from this passage of Scripture. You didn't get it from your father. You got a dirty mind from a carnal world. You got a dirty mind, dirty mind from controlling spouses. This is not dirty. God is holy, and this is holy and righteous. Now, and it says, and come together that Satan tempts you not for your inconsistency. Yeah, thank you. In other words, not having relations. 
I would say sex, but half of you get offended. All right, now, then if we looked at Ephesians 5.22, quickly, so we can get through this. Ephesians 5.22. There we Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife. Wait, wait, let's go up to verse 21. So the husbands get, submitting yourselves one to another. Somebody say one to another. In other words, everything you do to another is to be dominated by God because you reverence him as supreme. Now let's go down to verse 24. Therefore, yeah, and, and uh, husbands, and therefore as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be unto their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, and as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word of God. Husbands and wives. Husbands, you are not in your marriage relationship for yourself. You are there to present Jesus Christ a finished product. That you love your wife as he loved the church, that he might sanctify it and bring it to himself a completed work. Your wife is the weaker sex in your marriage. Marriage is or consists of two people having a basis of the foundations that they both belong to God. There are brothers and sisters in the Lord. If they belong to God, then each should handle it with great fear and trembling, knowing that whatsoever you do to your spouse, you've done it to Jesus Christ himself. Think of that next time you get a snide remark, an angry remark, a fitful remark, or a put-down remark. Remember that. Because you will condemn and sentence yourself to a joyless, depressed life if you talk to Jesus the way you talk to your spouses. Brothers and sisters in the Lord, number two, you need to know your identity and your responsibility as believers. Forget who they are because you do not appear before God because of who they become or their responses to what you did directed of Christ. But if you did things not directed of Christ, fear him whom you are going to face. And then it says this, and it talks about we are supposed to realize who they are and our responsibilities. What are you, husbands? What are you in your marriage? Well, I'm the head of my house. You are if she likes you there. But you're supposed to submit one to another. And if you don't like that formula, and she's better at certain things than you are, then you submit to her skills and her qualities above yourself. Only a fool is a failure at finances and demands to rule them. Amen? Now, if I had control of the finance, I might have the greatest signs and wonders and guns and bird dogs and hunting dogs, but Phils and I'd be living in a cardboard box. That wouldn't bother me as long as my guns were dry and my dogs were warm. But, Phyllis keeps reminding me, someday you're going to retire or I'll kill you early and I have to be well taken care of. So, who am I? Who am I? I'm a partner. 
I'm to love her as Christ loved the church. I'm to present her as a finished product to God. Jesus gave his life. The question would be, have I been giving mine? Have I been providing and meeting all of her needs according to God's divine supply in my life through my identity in Christ as Christ is the church or am I not meeting her needs? No spouse should ever have to go outside of marriage to have needs emotional, soulish, physical, or financially met by a stranger. Did you hear me? Jesus comes to comfort those that mourn, comes to heal the broken heart. In other words, Jesus is actively involved in our soulish, emotional life. Remember, he came to give us a spirit of praise, a changing of oil for gladness. Come on. Remember, he has transformed mourning. And if you are a problem to your spouse, a depressive nature, an oppressive nature, if you are one that discourages, if you are one that doesn't uplift, if your presence does not make joy rise up, in your spouse's life, when you enter a house, you need to remodel your life. Amen. Oh my God, you're talking hard, Pastor. No, no. Here, I'm just telling you that God meets all of our needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. He did that because he loved us. Amen. Jesus is the healer of the brokenhearted. He reverses mourning. He reverses heaviness. And that's your identity. And we should be doing the very same thing. Well, you know, my, my wife and I don't have anything in common. God had nothing in common with you when you got born again, except you were the enemy of God. He brought you in. Well, you know, we just have our separate lives. Impossible. You're shaming God. You are one flesh. You cannot allow separate lives to be born that is a rebellious spirit and a denial of your identity amen now Jim just looking at you you look like a dud a geek maybe you got a dual personality you're a dud geek or a geek dud but some way in my head, I think he's a kisser. Oh, yeah. Is he? Yeah, definitely. He's a kisser. Yes, yes, definitely. He's a kisser. Well, my wife says we should kiss more often. Then why aren't you puckering up? Well, I don't like Jesus died on the cross for you. You are to be to her what he was to you. Yeah. Marriage is a partnership one to another to express Jesus Christ and his attributes through our lives to our children, to each other, and to our community. And anytime our children do not think that our marriages are acceptable as patterns, we better go back to the drawing board and say, what can we do to straighten it up? Hmm. We are to use our God-given 
talents and powers, gifts of God as center ornaments in our lives. Remember, nobody gets a candle and lights it and puts it under a bushel. Everybody ought to know how good your marriage is because God knows how bad it is. Nothing is beyond repair. Could I get an amen? But God doesn't give you gifts and talents for your marriage for you to stick them under a bushel. Gee, many. Hallelujah. Somebody shout hallelujah. All right. Remember, you're not your own. You're bought with a price. Hallelujah. You are providers one of another. Because when provision is withheld, Satan thrives. Is that what it said? But I don't like this, and I don't like intimacy. I don't like, would you rather have your husband or your wife go to hell because you don't like? I'm asking you a question. I'm, I'm, just, I'm asking you the question that Paul answered in 1 Corinthians, the 7th chapter, verse 5. I'm asking you, is your personal preference more powerful than your divine commission to your spouse. Well, we just don't have it anymore. Well, the devil will creep in. Well, we've been like this for years. Don't worry. He's planning something. And he's coming. And when he comes, since there are no gates, since there are no boundaries, since there are no borders, he's coming in. And when he comes in, he's coming in to stay. And then about your spouse. Have you prayed for your spouse? Jesus told Peter, Satan has desired to sift you. Whether it's because of your defrauding or because of your neglect, because of your busyness and hobbies, because of your likes, your dislikes, your length of separate, because you have nothing in common. The devil is sifting you. You should be praying for your spouse. You should be intimately involved with your spouse. You should know your spouse's dreams, their goals. You should know what they're striving for, what they like, what they don't like. And you should be making your life conducive to being the provider, the extension of God to your spouse. That is your identity. Stop listening to the world. Marriage is not 50-50. Marriage is 100% commitment whether they are or not. Let's take a drink of water. I'm thirsty. How much more water you got? Let's just drink it all. I'm running out of time. Drink it all. Nikki, I'll tell you what, you never got rid of that rebellion, devil. Drinking it all, drink it all, fellas. Pour it up. You only got another 10 minutes, then you can go. Huh. Hallelujah. Tammy, come up here. Lois, come up here. 
Jane, come up here. Come up here. All right, got four. I need one more. Sharon, come up here. Come on up here. Sit right down here. Now, who came here today with your gas not enough to get home? Come up here. Come up here, Carol. Come up here. Sit down here, right here, ladies. Sit down right there. Hallelujah. Come on right up here, sir. Okay. The Bible says, real short, your identity is not an absorbing one. Your identity is a participant one. The Bible said, if you see your brother, sister in need and close up your bowels of your compassion, how is the love of God in you or even touched you? Now, could this water fill her gas tank? You sure? It couldn't. It couldn't. How many gallons does your tank hold? I don't know, 25 or 30. 25 or 30. My God, you ought to get you a beggar or something. All right, ladies, I need enough money to fill a 30-gallon tank. How much is gas? Well, that's good. How many gallons is that? How much? $40. 30 times 2 is 60. Well, you're a high school dropout, aren't you? Yeah, okay. There you go. Ladies, I need $60. Now, I'm sure that you don't have that on you. But I know somebody that is connected to a heavenly father that is a husband and a provider so that you can do what God wants you to do. That's what I know. Now, this water could not meet this need. No, no, I don't want it all, Joe. No, no, you're just... I'll take, I'll take it all, I mean, I, I, but I'm not giving all. Boy, Bill, stinging out, man, five, Lord, gee, money. Five, here, Joe, you better come back here. Man, these guys got stingy husbands. I need more money. Good night, man. I knew I should have got Ray. Oh, David's got money. Yeah, I'll tell you. I'm like you, I'm All right, $60, here, yeah, okay, I got it, I got it. Here's $60, you can buy Andy two donuts on his way home for five bucks. Here you go, ladies. Give that to her. Give that to her. Now, that's their nature. Now, could this water do that? But you ladies drank your water, didn't you? You are made up of 75% of the water. This water can do nothing. But once this water enters in to Christ... The Bible says we are in him. The Bible says if any man is in Christ, he's a new creature. In him, in Christ. Understand that when we go in him, you know what? We're no longer water. We're Mr. Universe. We're no longer water. We're the guy that holds four state records and one questionable world one because I gave it up for him. 
Oh, wait, I'm sorry. I have to take that back. The Bible said, lie not one to another. I'm sorry. Well, just pretend like that was. And then these women couldn't meet it, but in that water couldn't meet it, but in them, that water could. Do you realize that when you, as an individual, you have no strength to do anything? But the Bible says we can do all things in Christ that strengthens us. Let's stop looking at ourselves as nothing. Remember, this no longer exists. It has been swallowed up. It is now, you wouldn't talk to one of these people, uh, hi, water, how you doing? Is that how you would talk to her? No. Water has ceased to exist because it has been absorbed in every attribute, characteristic, every strength, every victory, every shred of faith, every shred of obedience that Christ is, that water has become Christ. Christ has not become the water. So every time you drink a bottle of water, you remember that I'm in Christ. I'm not afraid of anything. I'm not separated from Christ. I'm in Christ. I can do all things. My enemies know who I am. I can remove mountains. I can live an abundant life. I am identified as the property of God. Amen. Amen. What could Jesus not do? Now, what could you not do? The works that I do, you shall do also. And greater works than these shall you do. When you are placed in Christ, you lose your identity. Paul said it like this. Be you followers of me as I am in Christ. No longer I, but Christ liveth in me. Stop thinking of yourself and your abilities and your weaknesses. Let's start thinking, I can do all things. I can do all things. We are no water, no longer water. We are Christ. Could again, amen. Amen. Now, I know religious people say, oh, you're, you're just saying. Well, Jesus said, you know what? God is in me and I am in him. Now you are in Christ and Christ is in us. You wanted to see the Father, you look at Jesus. You want to see Jesus, look at the church. We are his ambassadors, and we speak, preach, and demonstrate in his place. Amen? Hallelujah. Bow your heads. Father, in the name of Jesus, God, with all simplicity, I have sought God to bring it down to a place that we are no longer identified with carnal men, with fallen men, with sinners, with rebels, with unbelievers, with doubt, and with the fearful. God, we are a new creature. And old things are passed away, and behold, all things are brand new. And all things are of God, our identity, our victory, our provision, our love. Hallelujah, God. No longer us. 
The life that I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who gave himself for me. I am crucified with him. I count myself and render myself dead unto sin that I might live with him. I am a new man. All things are new to me, Father, and all things are of God. Hallelujah. God, help us, strengthen us. Change us, transform us. Let us refuse to be who the enemy wants us to think we are. Let us accept who the enemy really knows who we are and let him know that we have found it out. Now, God, I ask it in Jesus' name.